Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And before I read verses 1 through 9, again, let me remind you the theme of these verses is found in verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. The connection of these verses is found in verse 1 in the words, in this way, this is how you stand firm in the Lord. And let me remind you again as we read these verses, the comprehensiveness of these verses. It speaks to our relationships. Live in harmony in the Lord in verses 2 and 3. It speaks to our affections. We're to cultivate godly affections. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. It speaks to our character in verse 5. That we are to be those who have a forbearing, gentle spirit. It speaks to our relationship to God and rightly relating to Him. For He is near to His children. It speaks of prayer in verses 6 and 7, which is what will be our focus today. We must live in light of who God is and trust Him, not being anxious, but instead praying. We must develop Christ-like, godly thinking in verse 8. And then the apostle caps it all off. I believe really verse 9 is kind of the, the capstone of this Maybe the bookend, you might say, to these verses, verses 1 to 9, that all these things must be put into practice if we are to indeed stand firm. So listen to God's word as the Apostle Paul, born alone by the Spirit of God, penned sacred scripture, Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way... Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This morning, I'm going to be preaching on verses 6 And seven, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we are to stand firm in the Lord, 
then anxiety and worry must be cast aside and it must be replaced by trusting prayer to the God who is near. Worry and anxiety will make you fall. Anxiety will cause you to be spiritually unstable. And that's not just true of you as an individual Christian, but of us as believers. If we are a people together, as a body of believers here in this local church, if we are characterized by worry and anxiety, then we will not have spiritual stability. This world is fallen. And it's filled with danger. It's filled with uncertainty. And there are many things that can be an occasion and a temptation to be anxious. There are so-called natural disasters. Violent crime is on the rise. Mass shootings have increased. The rule of law is sometimes not even enforced. There are wars and there are rumors of more wars. Just this past week, we've seen in the news of military operations in the Pacific threatening another country, the rumor of war. There's moral decay at a rate that none of us have seen before in our lifetimes. There's the temptation personally to be anxious about finances. Do I have job security? Will I make enough to support my family? And how will I raise my family in such a volatile world? What will the future be like? There are temptations to be anxious about our health. And there are some who live in a constant fear of death. Our culture has become a culture of fear and anxiety. As you know, advertising depends on four things to make you buy their products. Humor sensuality, discontentment, and fear. If you don't have this product, if you don't buy this thing, you should fear. Uh, Many of the automobile commercials today are based on that. You need this vehicle for its safety features so that you don't lose your children in a car accident, that which is precious to you or your own life. Fear has become so pervasive in our culture that we now have a whole category of disorders and anxiety disorders. I've shared with some of these with you before. There are a number of phobias that now are officially in the DSMV, the, uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Psychological Disorders, and, and they just increase and increase. And Some of them you have not heard of. I'm not going to try to pronounce the names because I'm not sure exactly the root of them and where they come from, but there's the fear of garlic. There's the fear of opinions. There's the fear of clowns, the fear of gravity. There's even the fear of bald people, the fear of books. Some of you young people might say to your parents, so that maybe that's what I have. Well, there's also the fear of teenagers. There's even theologicophobia, the fear of theology. And there's even phobiaphobia or phobophobia, which is the fear of fear. Some fear is legitimate in a sinful, fallen world. 
For the sinner whose sins have not been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, there is the fear of God. There should be the fear of death. There should be the fear of hell, an eternal condemnation from an almighty God whose wrath will not be assuaged for all eternity. That should bring fear to your soul. But these fears, which should bring us to the Savior, are often suppressed. But for the believer, we have the peace of God. And that is based on the fact that we have peace with God. The preposition is very important. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in Him. Our sins have been placed upon Him, and His righteousness has been imputed to our account. Therefore, we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God, and therefore, we can have the peace of God. Now, this doesn't mean that there are no trials, no tribulation, there are no turmoil in the world. No, all of these are present in a fallen world, and Christians are not exempt from those things. However, it does mean that the believer has peace with God and the peace of God even in a fallen, sinful world. And therefore, the Christian is never to be ruled by fear. The tribulations which come our way are by a sovereign God who is accomplishing His purposes in the world and in our lives for our good and for His glory. And so the Christian should, be never, should never be ruled by fear, but instead every circumstance in our lives should be an opportunity to grow spiritually, to be sanctified, to become more like Christ. It's an opportunity for us to trust God and have His peace. As Jesus said in John 16.33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So the peace that Jesus speaks of, in contrast to the supposed peace that the world gives, it's found, He says, in me. In me you may have peace. So we can interject that here in this passage in Philippians chapter 4. Just as the other things commanded in Philippians 4 are in the Lord, so the peace that believers have is also in the Lord. The world says, don't worry, be happy. But there is no true peace apart from Him. And so believers in church, I want to encourage you today that you can have the peace of God in every circumstance. You can. You may be tempted to fear. We all have temptations at at times to various things, sometimes differently. There are some things that are more of a temptation for, for some than for others to fear and be anxious. But you can have the peace of God in every circumstance. And you say, how? Well, one of the ways is by following these commands here in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Stop worrying. Be anxious for nothing. Start praying. And then in verse 7, we see the result. The peace of God. 
So that's my outline. It's very simple. Stop worrying. We'll fill that out in a moment. Start praying. And the result will be the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. So these two verses, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, really have a foundation of two commands. One's a prohibition, don't do this. And one's a positive injunction, do this. And he starts in this first command, this prohibition, by saying this in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Now I say stop worrying because this particular Greek grammatical construction, the present imperative with the negative may, it means more than just don't do a certain thing. It means stop doing something that you're already doing. Paul is saying to the Philippian church, stop being anxious. From his report from Epaphroditus, who had come to Paul in Rome to bring a gift from the church at Philippi, Paul knew from that report that anxiety and worry were affecting the church and its spiritual stability. When you read through the book, you can see what some of those temptations to anxiety might be. First of all, they were worried about the Apostle Paul. Paul, who had originally preached there and founded the church, and now he's in prison, and they're anxious about him. They were being persecuted outside the church. Remember in chapter 1, verses 28 to 30, they were suffering for the gospel. There were these opponents to the gospel. And that's certainly a cause for anxiety, a temptation to be anxious. Those who are opposing the gospel and were bringing persecution to the church. But then there were those inside the church who claimed to be believers, who claimed to be Christians, who were teaching a false gospel. Those of the circumcision. So now you have not only opposition from outside the church, but then opposition to the true gospel from within the church. And then they're struggling with disunity. They needed to be of the same mind and maintaining the same love and united in spirit. You remember back in chapter 2. They're struggling with selfishness and pride among them. There's grumbling and complaining, chapter 2, verse 14. Now there's Euodia and Syntyche who cannot get along together. And there might have been questions. Is this church going to survive? Is the church going to succumb to the world and its persecution? Are we going to stand firm on the gospel? There was temptation to be anxious. And so Paul, at this particular point, born along by the Spirit of God, says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Let me just pause here and ask some questions. The first question is this, should a child of God ever fear? Now by fear here, I mean sinful fear. There are some things we ought to fear in a godly, in a fallen world. They're, they're good fears. I mean, you should fear the traffic out on the road up here. You don't just walk out into it. It's fear, in a sense, and understanding the danger that is there that keeps you from doing unwise and foolish things. But I'm talking about sinful 
fears. Should a child of God ever fear? Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And the Greek word here, translated nothing, means exactly that. It's placed first in the sentence in the Greek construction, nothing be anxious about. Nothing fear. It means that for a child of God, for the church here, we should be anxious about nothing, not a single thing. Paul would say, leave no room for worry or fear. But you don't understand my circumstances. Paul would say, be anxious for nothing. Yes, but, but what if be anxious for nothing? Well, can I worry just a little? Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Someone might say, but I can't help it. I believe Paul would say, yes, you can. Anxiety is actually a choice. We sometimes think it's something that overcomes us that we can't help. No, it's a choice we make. We should be anxious for nothing. What good will it do to worry? In Matthew 6, verse 27, Jesus said, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubic to his lifespan? You can be anxious, but it's not going to add to your life. You can be anxious about the length of your life. And it's actually not going to add a single cubic. It's not going to add one moment, one day, one week. It will do no good at all. Sinful worry and fear never accomplish anything for the glory of God. So stop choosing to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Don't give it any room in your life. Why should a child of God not fear? Because he's a child of God. Just let me emphasize it. Because he's a child of God. You should not worry. You should not be anxious. You should not fear because you belong to God. As a believer, you are his child. He has saved you. He is your God. Be not dismayed. Do not fear. I am with you always. He has promised to be at work in our lives for our spiritual good. So why should a child of God not fear? It's simply because God has saved you by his grace and there's no cause or reason for fear. One of the ways that we expel worry and fear and anxiety is to consider and think about God himself, to muse upon the attributes of God. Why be anxious about your physical needs, your material needs, when God is omniscient and knows all your needs? Matthew 6, verse 8, Jesus said, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so the, the omniscience of God, that He is our Heavenly Father, and He knows our needs even before we ask Him, should be a comfort for us not to fear. In Matthew 6, verse 32, Jesus said, for all these things, all these material things, the Gentiles eagerly seek. They're pursuing them. But he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He, he knows what you need. He isn't turned away. He's not somehow uninformed. 
And so considering the omniscient God that we know savingly through Christ should be a cause not to worry or fear. Why be anxious about death when he is, as we celebrated last week, the resurrection and the life? Why should a child of God fear when God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble? Psalm 46, verse 1. Why should a child of God fear and worry and be anxious when Psalm 118 says, The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? When persecution comes, and it has throughout church history, and it will Even in our day, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear God who's able to cast the soul into hell. You see, fear is expelled in the light of who God is. You've turned over a rock before and you've seen these insects underneath that Love the darkness, but when you turn over the rock, they they start running to their holes or to other places to hide from it. That's the way fear is. Fear is expelled in the light of who God is. The knowledge of God vanquishes all fear, anxiety, and worry. This is why I said there's, there's a connectedness to all these verses, and this comes right after, the Lord is near. And the word therefore isn't here, but it's tied to it. Therefore, do not be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. The Lord is near. And so you can mark it down. When you're anxious, you're not living in light of who God is. Your perspective is skewed. When you're anxious, you've forgotten something about God or you're choosing not to, what we'll see in verse 8, dwell on something that is indeed true about God. As someone has said, when worry is big, God is small. We've lost perspective. But when we understand the greatness of God, the bigness, if I can say it that way, of God and all His glory and His attributes, the weightiness of God, then worry is small. So what are you anxious about? What is it that that keeps you up at night? That when you lay your head on the pillow, that, that you're having difficulty going to sleep? What is it about God, His nature, His character, that needs to be applied to that fear? So that you can obey what Paul says here, for the child of God, be anxious for nothing. Someone has said the fear of God is the one fear that removes all others. And so when we fear Him, we reverence Him, we live in light of who He is and His glory and His greatness as those who have been redeemed by grace, then it expels fear. But you might say, well, isn't it okay to be concerned about certain things? Surely concern isn't sinful. Well, in one sense, I would agree with you. It's true that we are to be concerned about various things, but sometimes we use the word concern when we really mean anxious. And we do need to be careful how we use our words and be honest about what we're actually saying about what's going on in our hearts and our minds. 
The word anxious here, be anxious for nothing, the Greek word and its derivatives are translated anxious in certain places, but sometimes it's just translated to care for or to be concerned about. And so this same Greek word in certain contexts does mean to have a concern that is a legitimate, lawful, and good concern, not a sinful worry. It's actually used in Philippians 2 verse 20 in that good way. Paul says of Timothy in Philippians 2.20, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So it's the same Greek word here translated concerned, but in Philippians 4 verse 6, anxious. So Timothy was genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church, and that's a good thing. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, the word is used to being concerned about the things of the Lord, how you might please the Lord. And so that's something you should be concerned about. So this particular Greek verb is used four times in the Bible in this positive way, in this good way. So there are things we are to be concerned about, but we know how this is. There are things we're to be concerned about and give attention to, But if we're not careful, even those things that we should be concerned about and give attention to can become a temptation for sinful anxiety and worry. So most of the time, this particular Greek word is speaking of that which is sin, to be anxious. I think we usually know the difference between proper concern about something or someone and then crossing the line into worry and anxiety and fear. But sometimes we deceive ourselves, we make excuses about our worry, and we say, well, I'm just concerned about it. I'm not worrying, when in reality we're anxious. And so the first step to being anxious for nothing is recognizing sinful uh, sinful worry and being honest about our worry and our fear and our anxiety. Sometimes we can look calm, but we're churning with anxiety. We're we're like a a duck going across the water. You've seen it. The duck's just gliding across the water with this little ripple. And it's actually quite beautiful to, to watch. But underneath the water, there's churning. The feet are paddling. You don't see it on the surface. And that's sometimes the way we are. We may appear to be peaceful and tranquil, gliding across the water, but really on the inside, there's this churning that's taking place. And so how can we discern the difference between a true, good, biblical concern and sinful worry? Well, there are many answers to that question, but let me give you one answer. One way you can discern whether you have a biblical good concern for something or whether or not it's sinful worry And here's really how you can discern the two. Is your response to whatever it is to do the revealed will of God? Is your response to whatever it is, whatever circumstance or person or situation, is it biblical concern or is it worry? Well, is your response to do the will of God? Let me explain what I mean. When there is legitimate concern, do you respond by doing the will of God as revealed in the Bible? Or do you 
not do what God commands in that situation. Sinful worry and anxiety tends to respond to situations with two extremes. And probably all of us have responded to one degree or another in in this way. You, You know what I'm talking about when I explain it. When there's sinful worry and anxiety, one extreme is inactivity. You're debilitated by the worry and the fear. You're therefore idle. You retreat. And there's isolation in various ways. You're completely overcome by it so that now you're not doing the will of God, but you're so anxious you're unable to do the things that you know to be the will of God or you're not choosing to do the things you know to be the will of God. So that's the one extreme. When we're anxious, we're inactive. We're debilitated by the fear. On the other side is control. I'm anxious. I've got to get this under control. I'm worried. And we want to control the situation or the person as if we are sovereign. And we begin to act as if we're God. So those are the two extremes. On the one hand, there's inactivity. We're debilitated by the fear. We retreat and we're not doing the will of God. On the other hand, we're now trying to control a situation by sinful human means rather than doing the will of God. We should not be idle and we should not act as if we're in control. What we should do is simply do the will of God. Let me give you an example or some examples of this. Paul is in prison. When he writes these words, he's in prison. Will he live or will he die? And we hear him writing about this. He doesn't know whether in the sovereignty of God he's going to die and be executed for his faith in Christ or whether he's going to be released from prison. This is a legitimate concern. If you're in prison, you ought to be concerned. What's going to happen? But how does he respond? Paul's not curled over in the corner, debilitated and inactive, nor is he frantic and trying to grab control. No, he's just doing the will of God. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. That's what God has called me to do. So he's preaching the gospel to every prisoner or every soldier that comes to keep watch over him. And so the gospel spreads. And it's spreading, remember, to the whole Praetorian Guard. And it's even reaching Caesar's household. And Paul's rejoicing. So he's not debilitated by this concern he's not frantic and trying to seize control he's concerned legitimately about the church in philippi epaphroditus has come he's heard some things that are concerning to him he knows timothy is concerned as well so how does he respond he doesn't say oh the church i planted in philippi They've gone off the rails and there's selfishness and there's disunity and they're false teachers and they're just going to fall apart. I'm just going to curl up here in my cell and I'm just finished. Nor does he, again, panic and try to seize control. What does he do? He does the will of God. He prays. And we have a record of his prayer in chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. He prays for the church at Philippi. He instructs the church at Philippi. That's what we're reading now, his instruction. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you so that he, one who's genuinely concerned as well, can 
minister to them during this particular time. So, see, Paul isn't going to one or extreme or the other. No, he's doing the will of God. He's praying. He's instructing. So, he has a right response to this legitimate concern. And that's what we need to do. Are you concerned about your life? Are you concerned about your finances? What about how are you going to live? What, what should you do? Some people, they're, they're overcome by fear. So one response is, is inactivity. No, the will of God is labor. Are you concerned about your finances? Then God says you're to labor. So go and trust the sovereignty of God and put those resumes out and seek employment and labor. The other extreme, well, I'm in control. I'm going to go to this, this city and I'm going to do this or that. And I'm going to make a profit and I'm going to prosper. Oh, really? James says in James 4, 13 to 17, that that sin, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I, we will live and do this or that. You see, we can have different responses. One of inactivity, not laboring as God has commanded us to do. Or we can say, well, I'm going to labor and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be in control of this. There's no way I'm going to be in a financial situation that's difficult because I'm going to be industrious. And now we... We've forgotten that it is God who gives those things. It's legitimate to have concern for your children, for their salvation, for their safety. Some are overwhelmed by that concern that it turns into sinful anxiety and now they're inactive. They're worried. Or they try to control the situation. No, we should do the will of God. Pray for them. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Provide for them. Protect them by the lawful means God has given you to do so. And then rest in the sovereignty of God. You see, we overcome fear not by inactivity or control, but by trust. Trusting God, our Father. So worry and anxiety doesn't lead you to do the will of God. And it doesn't bring glory to God. Instead, it leads to spiritual instability. So that's why Paul simply says, be anxious for nothing. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, let me tell you what at least one of the things you should be doing that is the will of God. Here's what you need to replace anxiety and worry with. Start praying. Be anxious for nothing, verse 6, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what is the alternative to fear and anxiety? It's not control. No, it's prayer. Don't do this, but do this. Don't be anxious, but pray. So Paul is putting it like this in this context. Here are your choices. Anxiety or trusting prayer. Which will you choose? Remember the, the principle of sanctification, that the put-off, put-on principle. You're, it's not good enough just to decide not to do something, not to be anxious. You can't grit your teeth and overcome anxiety. Anxiety must be replaced by something else. Replaced by what is the will of God. Here, specifically, with prayer. 
And so the goal is not just to get rid of anxiety. The goal is to replace anxiety. And so the question is, are you replacing it? What do you replace it with? You replace it with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting your requests be made known to God. Now Paul here says, in everything. So again, he's using this contrast. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Pray. He uses three words translated here, prayer, supplication, and requests. Prayer is a more general term emphasizing the petitioner's attitude of worship. Supplication are those prayers that express need and requests are things asked for specifically. But I don't think Paul here has given us a theology of prayer and he's trying to make minute details. As one commentator said, the effect of the accumulation of three synonymous nouns for prayer is to emphasize the importance of constancy in believing prayer. In other words, it's as though Paul is saying this, just using different words. We just say it in this way in English. Stop being anxious about anything at all. Instead, in everything, pray, pray, Pray. And that is God's answer to anxiety. To replace anxiety with trusting prayer. I've already alluded to it, but what type of prayer cures, if we can use that word, anxiety? Because you know you can pray and still be anxious. You can pray worried prayers. I've done it before, and I know you have too. You're praying, but your prayers are, God, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. What if this? And your mind goes on, and you're just praying worried prayers, and you're, you're speaking to God, but it's not trusting prayer. It's anxious praying. Sometimes we think that just doing the act of prayer itself is somehow as we say, magical. I just get down on my knees, I just say some words, I wrap it up in Jesus' name, amen, as if that's what God commands. No, that's not what he's commanding. It's not a formula that you just say. What Paul is emphasizing here is, instead of being anxious, get on your knees before God and understand the Lord is near. He hears your prayers. And trust Him and rest in Him. It's not prayer itself that cures anxiety. It's the God we pray to that relieves our fears. So trusting prayer indicates that you believe things like this about God. So the type of prayer we're talking about is, God, you are near. And you are near to me Because you have poured out your grace upon me in Christ Jesus. You have saved me by your grace. And you hear my prayers. And you are good. You you have ordained this in my life to conform me to your image, which is what is best for me, which is good. And you love me. You are concerned for me. You're sovereign. You're in control of all things. And, And you have the power to change these circumstances if you will it so. I acknowledge you're God. And you alone can give true peace. 
And that's why I'm bowed before you right now. I am, I am a creature, not the creator. And you deserve my worship and my devotion no matter the circumstances. This type of prayer magnifies God and it trusts him. It proclaims him as all-sufficient. And this kind of prayer calms the soul. Your circumstances may be a cause for anxiety, but the God you're praying to is a cause for peace. And therefore, instead of choosing to be anxious or continue in anxiety, you choose to trust your all-sufficient God in prayer. You lift up your prayers, your supplications, your requests. He says, bring them to, my, to the throne. <clears throat> what are you anxious about? Bring it to the throne of grace. Paul says in everything, pray about every situation and circumstance. Now, those who are in my class on decision making say, I remember you saying that we actually don't have to pray for everything. In regards to guidance, there are some things you don't need to pray for because it's already revealed in the word of God. But as I said in that class, it doesn't mean you're not praying at all. You're not praying as if God give me wisdom. No, it's already clearly revealed. Do this, don't do this. You don't need to pray about whether you need to pray. You just need to pray. But in the midst of even when you know the will of God is revealed in Scripture, you still bathe it in prayer. And so in everything, especially when there's temptation to anxiety, in everything, you're to pray so, but I have control of this situation. You're headed for anxiety. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Then what should you be praying about? Everything. We sometimes head down a path of anxiety because we attempt to live independent of him. We, instead, we need to pray about everything. And Paul says here that prayer is to be with thanksgiving with thanksgiving. Trusting God yields prayer to God and trusting prayer yields thanksgiving to God and then that thanksgiving expels worry as well. You can't truly devote yourself to trusting prayer and give thanks to God while at the same time being anxious. You might say it this way, anxiety ends when thanksgiving begins because they can't coexist together. So Paul says, stop worrying. Be anxious for nothing. Remember, the Lord is near. You're his child. He is sovereign and he's good. And, and therefore, start praying. Trusting prayer. Resting in, in the sovereignty and goodness of God. And here's the result in verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, everyone wants to get from anxiety to peace, but there's a means by which we get there. Anxiety to the peace of God is through that trusting prayer. And when there is that trusting prayer, what it yields is the peace of God. And this peace cannot be easily shaken. 
Now this peace, as I said, doesn't mean that there's no trials, no tears, no grief, no pain. It is a peace that exists in the midst of those storms and difficulties. It's kind of like a hurricane. What Paul is describing here, you might think of like a hurricane. It's the hurricane, there's a tumultuous storm. It's a category five. But you're in the eye of the storm where there's peace. Resting in God, ceasing striving. So when there is this kind of trusting prayer, what is said that will take place here is that it will yield, it will result in the peace of God. And this is, here's how it's described. It is a divine peace. It is the peace of God. This isn't some artificial surface level peace. No, this is the peace that comes from God. It is the peace of God. He is the source of true peace. People try to find peace in all kinds of things. Yoga. People just sit around and say, Om, connecting with themselves and the universe. It's all kind of, again, I told you, there's, you know, advertising is based on fear. And here, if you use this product, you're just going to, the aroma is going to make you calm. No, there is no oil that will make you calm. It's not the peace of oil. It's the peace of God. The quality of your peace depends on the source of your peace. And here, what Paul is talking about, when you go to God in this kind of trusting prayer, the result is not the peace that the world gives or some temporary earthly thing can give. It is the peace of God. So this is a divine peace that is also a relational peace. It is based on a relationship. It's not based on a feeling or experience. It's based on the fact that I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus and faith in Him, and therefore I can have the peace of God in every circumstance. But I want you to notice what Paul points out in particular is that this is a superior peace. This divine peace that results from trusting prayer is a superior peace. Peace. Where do I get that? Look in your Bibles, verse 7. It's in the phrase, which surpasses all comprehension. He describes this peace that comes from God in this way. It surpasses all comprehension. It is a superior peace. Now, here's the, the common way that people tend to read this. By the way, you've heard me say it. Let me say it again in preaching through this. This has nothing to do with seeking guidance from God. So when we say, based on this verse, oh, I prayed about it and I have a peace about it. This is the will of God. That has nothing to do with what this verse is saying. This is about anxiety and worry and how when we have trusting prayer, it yields the peace of God. Not about decision making. We go to the word for that. We seek wisdom from God. This is about how you combat anxiety. But the common interpretation of this verse would be something like this. The peace of God, which can't be understood. Uh, To use the, uh, the, the today's teenager version. I don't guess teenagers talk about, say it this way anymore. But when I was a teenager, this is the peace of God that will blow your mind. (laughs) That's how it's commonly understood. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, this will blow your mind, this peace. This is just wonderful peace. That's not what it means. It's saying this is a peace that surpasses and is greater than something else, namely comprehension. So more literally, the, you could translate it this way. This is a, the peace of God which is greater than knowledge. It's greater than knowing. And this is so important, and when I understood this, it really confirmed what really experientially I knew to be the case through various trials and temptations to anxiety and, and worry. What do we want to know? When there's anxiety, what do we tend to do? God, our prayers are like this. God, tell me why this is happening. I want to know why, and then I'll have peace. If you'll just reveal to me, if somehow you'll, you'll let me know why this particular trial or situation is taking place. When my daughter died, the temptation was to pray, God, why? Why? Just, if you... Let me know if you would somehow reveal to me why, if I understood, if I had knowledge of why this took place, then I could have peace. And we tend to think that if we just knew why God does what he does in his sovereignty, then that will ease our anxiety. But actually, I think the opposite is true. Often, If we didn't know, if we just imagine, if you could know the mind of God, first of all, that would blow your mind. (laughs) You you can't. We're finite creatures. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. We can't understand the, the complexities of all of God's sovereign will. And we think if we know that, somehow we're going to have peace? No. We're creatures. We're finite. He's the creator. And then we say, well, if I knew and I could see the spiritual good that was going to come from it, then somehow it had peace. Let me tell you, I could see in retrospect some good things that came out of the death of our daughter, in particular in our own lives. But if, if God said, well, this is a means by which I'm going to accomplish this or this, in our finite and sinfulness, in our state, that wouldn't bring peace. We said, but God, couldn't you do it another way? Sometimes I think we're deceived into thinking knowledge of why God acts. I'm talking about the specifics rather than I'm God and it's a holy will and it's for your good and my glory. But we think if we know the specifics, then I can lay my head on the pillow at night. No, that's not true. What Paul is saying is this peace that comes from God is greater than knowledge. It's greater than knowing. Because when my daughter died and I went to the word of God and was comforted by what I knew about God and when I got on my knees in trusting prayer, I didn't have to know all those things. I didn't, I knew I'm a creature. God, you're God and I trust you and I rest in you. And the peace that God gave was better than if he had revealed to me all of what was taking place. Think about it. Pastor Sean had been teaching on Job, and he's going to return to that. What if God had revealed to him at the outset what was happening 
before God and Satan coming to him and the conversation was going on. You think that would necessarily help Job? Now what helped Job is a revelation of the glory of God. Not a knowledge of the secret things of God. So this is a peace that is better than having to know. It's better than comprehension and knowledge. I think if I knew, people say, well, if I, what if I knew the day of my death? Would that be a help against anxiety? No, I'm just to live and do the will of God. However day, many days he has given to me. That's the secret counsel of God. If I knew it, it might create more anxiety. So what if I knew how I was going to die? What if, what if you knew that you were going to die a death by drowning? You think that gives you peace? That's cause for anxiety. God gives you peace which is better than, surpasses all comprehension and knowledge. What we need as creatures is not more knowledge, but more trust in the God who has ordained all things. And whatever he ordains is right. And what this peace will do, it will protect your hearts and minds. It's a protecting peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses and is greater than knowledge, shall then be like a garrison around your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It will guard you from anxiety. It will protect you. That's what we desire, right? So the way we get from anxiety to the peace of God, which is greater than knowledge, is not by demanding that God reveal to us His secret will, His sovereign will. No, it's by simply humbling ourselves, trusting Him, bringing our petitions to Him, and saying, whatever you ordain is right. Your holy will abideth. I just submit myself to you. And God will give you a peace that is better than knowing, and it will guard your hearts and minds. So then anxiety comes And it says, well, what if this or what if that? What if you lose your job? What if your children go astray? What if this happens? No, this is a peace of God. I rest, I trust in him, and it will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Someone has said that prayer is that wonderful transaction where the wealth of God's glory is magnified and the wants of our soul are satisfied. In this kind of prayer, God is glorified. What a gracious God you are. What a glorious God you are. What a sovereign and good God you are. In my need to be protected, my heart and mind is granted by God's grace. So brothers and sisters in Christ, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses knowledge, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we all know as sinners, as those who are weak and have remaining corruption, and are tempted to be anxious, we know the instability that brings to our souls. And 
Lord, I pray that, that we would not be ruled by fear, but we would be ruled by our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not be ruled by the fear of man, that we would not fear those who oppose the gospel, that we would not fear persecution, Lord, for that will lead us to compromise. Lord, I pray that we would not fear what men can do to us, but we would fear you. Father, I pray we would not fear death, for our Savior has conquered death in the grave. Lord, may we not fear condemnation, for our Savior has borne our sins on the cross. Lord, I pray whatever anxiety and fear and temptation we have to those things might be, that we would be quick to bring everything to you, to come to the mercy seat, the throne of grace, to find help in time of need, that we might have your peace, which is greater than comprehension. Lord, give us these things, Lord, that we might glorify you, and Lord, that we might know that indeed the Lord is near, that we then might have that gentle, gracious spirit, not as those who are seeking control, but as those who are resting in your sovereignty. And in this way, I pray that we would stand firm in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.